بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على سيد محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا In the name of God, the merciful, the compassionate Prayers and peace be upon all of our prophets The um, little caveat before I start uh, I want to thank Mayor Greg Fisher who I met him after 9-11 I actually came to Louisville and spoke at, and we spent a day together, and I'm, I really envy, in a good way, the Arabs have two types of envy, an envy where you want the person you envy to lose everything, and an envy where you want the same thing that, that they have. So it's the second type of envy that I'm talking about. Um, they actually have two different words for the meaning, but uh, I envy the city of Louisville that it has... Uh, a mayor like Greg Fisher, who's committed to compassion and reintroducing compassion as an idea, a political idea. Uh, a lot of people might be familiar with Aristotle's theory of stasis and the reason why revolutions happen, and we're living in revolutionary times, places like uh, the Middle East, Crimea, other places. The, uh, the reason revolutions happen, according to Aristotle, is that philia breaks down, love breaks down in a society, and, and people lose the compassion for the other. And this is one of the reasons why Philadelphia, which was the original capital of the United States, is the city of philia. It's the city of brotherly love. And so to reintroduce that into politics, I think, is, is really important. It's not spoken uh, uh, enough. The, uh, I want to, a little caveat, this, if anybody's on Prozac, um, they might feel better leaving. Um, I don't want to depress anybody, but I, I want to, bef- before you can really talk about healing, you have to look at the diagnostics uh, to understand what's going on. A, a very influential author for me is Arnold Toynbee, and he wrote a book over 50 years ago called Change uh, and Habit, The Challenge of Our Time. And in that book, he argues, and, and he's worth listening to because in 1947, he wrote an essay about uh, a civilization when it's up against the wall against another civilization has certain strategies, and one of them is, is zealotry and fanaticism. And he warns about the Muslim world, and actually identifies three places where he felt, in 1947, that he felt uh, serious problems would emerge in the future, Afghanistan, Yemen, and Saudi Arabia. And that was in 1947. One of the gifts that historians bring is that they look at the future with hindsight, because they know the past so well, they can see and prognosticate about what's, what's going to happen. But he wrote this book, Change in Habit, arguing that that as humans we have certain habits that are very dangerous. And they're not instinctual. They're they're literally habitual. And, and, And the worst, he felt, was the habit of going to war. That this is, it's a choice. That there are other alternatives. And peoples have done other things. War is not the only solution. It's actually always a failure. Um, it's the last refuge of the incompetence, violence. So, uh, and, but he also felt uh, 
there were other aspects. One of them was tribalism or nationalism. And this idea of not seeing us as a human family, as seeing us as us and them. And, and this is a very dangerous habit of the mind. And if we're not trained to change these habits, and this is why virtue theory is based on altering habits. It's adopting new habits. And the human being can change. So, and it's not nature versus nurture. Uh, the two work together. So this idea of nature versus nurture is, is something uh, also that's problematic. So I just want to say that uh, I'm going to talk about... Is, is it... Um, okay. Uh, another one of my uh, favorite people is Soren Kierkegaard, who was another visionary, somebody who really saw the future. If you haven't read Kierkegaard, he's incredibly humorous writer, um, wonderful wit. Um, he, he says that um, he said things to make people laugh while he was crying inwardly. But um, he, one of the things that he said was that one solitary person cannot help or save an age. He can only make it clear that it is on its way to a downfall. And this is the Cassandra problem, because if people know Greek mythology, Cassandra warned, not in the Iliad, but, but in a, a play, warned uh, the Trojans not to bring in the horse. But she had the gift of prophecy, but she was cursed with that nobody would believe her. So in terms of... This isn't uh, switching here. Maybe we're meant to contemplate this a little longer. <laughs> yeah, technology is such a... Yeah, okay, now we're okay, thanks. So, the purpose of human existence... I'm going to speak from my tradition. This is the festival of face. So I want to speak from my tradition, but I think this could be shared by many peoples. The... Uh, there's a, there's a verse uh, in the Qur'an that tells us that one of the reasons why we were created was for the cultivation of the earth. That the, the verse says that it was God who brought you into the being from the earth and settled you therein to cultivate it. Sta'marukum fiha. So imara is cultivation, and it, it's, it, it indicates a lot of different things that humans do. And this is why... Anybody who's involved in cultivation of the earth in a positive way is fulfilling a divine purpose, whether they believe in the divine or not, that they are fulfilling a divine purpose. And this is often lost on uh, religious peoples that are working from a provincial tradition and not recognizing that everybody is here for a reason. Uh, the second is the, the purpose is actually to worship, to adore the creator. And this is obviously from the Abrahamic traditions, that I only created unseen beings and human beings to worship me. And then finally, stewardship. The idea of being caretakers of what we've been given. This is called the Khalifa. And the Khalifa is one who stands in place. And the Quran tells us that God said, I'm placing in the earth a steward. And a steward is one who acts on the behalf of another. And so this is divine stewardship. And then David, we're told... Uh, in, the, in the Jewish tradition that David 
we have made you a steward over the land. Judge fairly between people. Do not follow your desires. This is a really important point about this because stewardship is corrupted by following desires. And lest they divert you from this divine plan. And so the question is, how are we doing as stewards of the earth? If this is really one of the reasons why we're here. So just to look maybe at some of the signs. Um, I trained in in the medical profession, uh, and we always take vital signs, and we also assess orientation. So you ask somebody what... I was working at the time when we didn't have a president. There was that little interregnum period where we didn't know uh, who was president. Was it Bush or Kerry? So we couldn't really ask them who's president. But um, you ask a patient who's president. You ask them where are you? Um, who are you? So you orient them to time and place. So they, you can see, do they, do they know? Um, one of the verses in the Quran says that corruption, and the word is facade, has appeared on land and on sea because of what people have earned by their acts to make them taste some of what they have done that they might turn back. So the idea of when, when, when we do things in the world that are, that are dangerous and negative, then we get this repercussion. And the reason for that repercussion, it's actually a mercy because it's letting you know that you need to turn back, that you're doing something wrong. And so you cannot go out and sow corruption without having the corruption come back at you in what, in economic terms, is this, uh, these externalities for people that know that term. These are the negative consequences of economic production. So if you have a factory, the factory doesn't intend to pollute the river, because it just wants to produce whatever it's producing, but that's a negative externality. You also have positive externalities. So one of the signs of uh, these, the latter times when it's gotten too much, the Quran says that men will cry out and say, what is happening to the earth? On that day, it will tell you all because your Lord inspired it to do so. So the word in Arabic that's used in the Quran, which is fasad, uh, is rottenness, spoiledness, corruption, decay, decomposition, putrefaction, depravity, wickedness. So it has, it's used for, like when food goes bad, the Arabs say fasada, it's gone bad. But they also use it for a person when they've gone bad. So something is, is, has gone wrong. And Pollution is the undesirable state of the natural environment being contaminated with harmful substances as a consequence of human activities. So the state of being polluted. It's also defilement. And this is also traditionally a religious term that was used. Now, the traditional interpretation, which is from the 7th century of one of the great Quran interpreters, Abdullah ibn Abbas, about this, he said the signs of corruption, of fasad, on land are fires, soil degradation, the lowering of the water tables, and among the signs of corruption in the sea is the diminu- uh, di- diminution of the fish. So, so the fish begin to disappear. So this is 7th century. And you will actually find in Chinese manuscripts from over uh, 2,000 years ago uh, the problems of pollution. These aren't new problems, and, and societies have had negative effects on the lands that they were in. But in my own, I'm coming from the West Coast, one of the things that we've seen 
is a lot of fires. And, and I don't know if people know about the fires that are happening all over the planet. Uh, Spain, Europe has a tremendous problem with, with fires. But we see a lot of fires, and you can see the increase that's happened uh, over time uh, here, just from, from 1980 to 1989 to 2000, 2010. And we lose firefighters. Uh, people go in. One of the reasons is because of the climate change that's happening. So it's increasing this risk. And then uh, wildfires are projected to burn more land as te- temperatures continue to rise. So you can see the projected increase here on, on the west uh, coast, of, uh, on the west side of our country. Uh, another aspect is the air pollution, and it's extraordinary how many people suffer uh, around the globe from, from air pollution. Mexico City has a huge problem with asthma. Um, we have actually high uh, mortality rates in, in major cities uh, because of the pollution. We're actually finding also a lot of contamination in our bodies. Um, so this is a, a major problem. Um, this is China, where a lot of people are forced to wear masks because the pollution gets so bad. Um, and then another aspect here is soil degradation, which a lot of people are unaware of this. I think people here, I mean, I'm obviously speaking to a lot of people that are aware of these things, but a lot of people are not aware of the real crises that we're seeing in soil degradation. Soil is a very thin layer uh, it takes millennia to produce topsoil, and it can be lost very easily. And, I mean, obviously, we have hydroponics. We have other ways of growing uh, plants. Plants actually don't need soil to grow. And, and hydroponics, they, they began studying hydroponics in the 17th century. But it would be an immense loss to, uh, to our species because we have uh, incredible problems with uh, water as well. And this is another aspect of the desertification, which I saw firsthand in the Sahara. I lived in the Sahara Desert, and I saw firsthand literally the encroachment of, uh, of the Sahara Desert. It's pretty overwhelming to see it, to see whole cities engulfed in sand. Um, so overall, this is, this is what we're seeing, and this is what our scientists are telling us. We don't need uh, apocalyptic prophets now to talk about these things. We have our scientists um, telling these, and it's, it's, a, it's an important reminder that the earth is not just for human beings. One of the verses in the Quran is that it's God who spread out the earth for all living creatures. It literally says, Lil Anam. And the Anam are, it literally means all those that sleep. Uh, so it's all sleeping creatures. It's a place where you should feel safe and secure. It's a place of repose. You can't sleep unless you feel safe. Or secure, and many of the animals are suffering. And, and I've mentioned this before, but one of the intriguing things to me about endangered species is it's it's not the cockroaches that are going extinct. It's not the rats or the mice. They're actually thriving. But what's going extinct are these animals that historically, in many traditional cultures, they use them as names for their children. They're, they're the animals that embody noble spirits, uh, the eagles, the, the lions, the tigers, the wolves. Uh, one of the real tragic aspects, I don't know if people might know about the doctrine of signatures, but there's a traditional belief in medicine that things that look like things are good for them. For instance, um, in the Arab tradition, 
cashews are very good for memory, according to the Arabs. If you look at a cashew, it looks almost like a hypocalamus, which is where memory is located in the brain. So if something looks like something, if you, if you cut a carrot, you can see an eye in the carrot. So carrots are considered good for eyes. Well, there's an Asian belief that the rhinoceros, I, you can use your imagination, um, is good for, uh, for people that are... Uh, would otherwise use Viagra. And so, unfortunately, uh, the rhinoceros, an extraordinary animal, is literally being wiped out because of this desire for people to use this aphrodisiac. Um, uh, Virginia Gray Henry published a wonderful book, which was written in the 10th century, about the animals having a lawsuit against humanity. So they actually come to court and, and demand that the human be taken to task for wreaking so much havoc in the natural world. Um, it's worth reading. But then we move from the land to the sea. And, and I could talk, of, there's a lot of other things happening, and many of you are aware of that. You know about the mountaintops in Kentucky and, and many, many other things. But I don't, I don't want to, I just want to give an overview here. But the ocean's also uh, amazing what we're seeing in the ocean's. Um, the Gulf of Mexico, the, the repercussions of, of that uh, are just overwhelming. The, the, the people that are suffering to this day, there's a lot of uh, immune uh, diseases that, are, that have occurred, uh, a lot of people really suffering, and, um, and the BP cleanup is far from, uh, from over. I mean, the, the, the effects of that are massive on, on the planet. So. Oil is another major problem. And then this is obviously, again, the animals just really suffer uh, when it comes to this. So, and then burning off uh, a lot of the oil, which is also another real source of pollution. It's interesting that right now, um, sorry, that um, we just, this literally is May 13th, that a glacial region's melt is past the point of no return, according to NASA. So these, these things are happening like, right now, and, and our scientists are confirming these things, and it's, it's overwhelming for people. People, it's very difficult to process these things. When I first read that 90% of the fish were gone, I, I thought that was so, it just seemed so crazy. And I, I sat next to a man on an airplane who happened to be a marine biologist, and we started talking, and I asked him about that. I said, listen, I read this in The Guardian. Is this true? He said, well... It's between 85 and 95%. So we, we kind of took a middle number in there. And I said, well, what do you think about that? He said, keeps me up at night. Uh, one of the things, and this is really important about the acidification. So I, I, I want you to just see, um, whoops, is this, this going to work for me? Uh, okay, so I'm not getting the the actual video, because this had video. I guess they didn't hook up the video for it. Anyway, the ocean acidification, which is a result of the pollution, we have acid rain, we have, our oceans are becoming more and more acidic, which is very interesting, and I'm going to get to that why. Um, our emissions of carbon oh, dioxide okay, are causing our climate to change, and too much CO2 in the atmosphere will also alter the very chemistry of our oceans. When carbon dioxide dissolves into seawater, it forms an acid. Just a small rise in the acidity of seawater, combined with climate change, may leave coral reefs, the most biodiverse habitats in the ocean, struggling to survive. But that's just touching the surface. 
by the end of the century, acidification could leave some types of plankton unable to form their shells. And plankton is at the foundation of nearly all marine ecosystems. If key species of these tiny organisms are lost, everything else that depends on them for food could also start to disappear. Carbon dioxide pollution threatens to change life in our oceans out of all recognition within the span of a single human lifetime. Environmental officials in California say there's been another highly troubling report about what's going on in the Pacific. The scientists call it the sea star wasting syndrome. That's the technical name, but something is killing the starfish, and they don't know why. They've been dying in record numbers on the West Coast, including parts of Washington State all along the coast down to California. Our report tonight from NBC's Miguel Almaguer. In the waters off Monterey Bay, an urgent expedition is underway. This is the hunt for a killer. It's happened so rapidly that some species are just missing. Marine biologist Pete Ramondi is searching for clues to an epidemic named starfish wasting disease, infecting waters from Alaska to Southern California, causing millions of starfish like this one to fall apart and melt away. Our group is looking to try to map the timing of the onset of the disease and locations of the disease up and down the coast so it will help us point to causes. The die-off has decimated the starfish population in this coast. So later he asked him, you know, is this the canary in the coal mine? And he said it very well could be. Um, I want to, we'll get back to the jellyfish, which are very interesting, but here's just some numbers. Uh, people don't know, but a bluefish tuna, when it's fully formed, is worth literally tens of thousands of dollars on the, the sushi market. Um, and so these, these uh, fishermen go out looking for They don't find them anymore, these giant ones, because the overfishing is so uh, immense that they're not allowing the fish to actually reach their full maturity. So um, what's happening, what's interesting is that it's creating an ideal environment for jellyfish, uh, they're the only ones that are thriving right now in the ocean. Um, the, bish, the big fish stocks fall 90% since 1950, according to the National Geographic. So, um, you know, the jellyfish are thriving, which is really fascinating. I just, I read this book, Stung, and it was just, it was a really devastating book written by, she's the foremost expert on jellyfish. And jellyfish are fascinating. They, they're toxic. What I find interesting is the ocean in traditional cosmology is, is consciousness, which is why we, Robert Frost has a wonderful poem about why we look out at the ocean. The land varies more, but we still want to look out at the ocean. Um, and we can't, we can't look out far and we can't look in deep, but that doesn't prevent us from looking at the ocean. The ocean is, uh, in cosmology, it's consciousness. And, and the fact that all these great fish are dying off the, the whales and, and the dolphins, and, but the jellyfish, this spineless, brainless predator, all it does is consume. It's just a spineless, brainless consumer. And, and that, that, to me, is just such an amazing statement about human consciousness. And are the jellyfish taking over our minds, our consciousness? Are we becoming human jellyfish?
Um, and, and believe it or not, all over, they're having jellyfish warnings because they're really thriving. And the woman who wrote that book, Stung, says it's way past. This was a wake-up call a long time ago. And, and it's, they literally have shut down uh, aircraft carriers because there's so many jellyfish pods out there. Um, so now, what are the roots of this crisis? At, at, at the heart of it is the modern doctrine uh, of the consumer. Now, what's interesting to me is that the consumer in Old English meant the devil. He was called the consumer because he consumed the souls of people. And, and, and consumption was a name for the wasting disease in the 19th century. It's what killed people slowly. And so this, this whole idea of, I, you know, I shop, therefore I am. Shop until you drop. The one with the most toys at the end wins. This idea of, of just shopping, this comes, this was actually done to us. And I would recommend people reading William Leach, The Land of Desire, because he takes uh, a period about from the 1890s till the 1930s and shows how our society was turned into a consumer society. It was conscious. It was done because they could produce a large number of goods and they wanted people to buy those goods. So we have to understand that this was something that was done to us, that people were not always consumers, that I've lived in cultures where they recycle everything because it's just simply, that's what they do. Uh, when I lived with the Bedouin, they use everything, literally. They don't throw away anything. And now they're starting to get the, these, uh, these throwaway items. And so you're seeing garbage everywhere now in the Sahara just plastics. In fact, Mauritania, and, and, and I'm proud to say this because I, I, I'm an honorary consul of Mauritania, but Mauritania outlawed plastic bags. It's a one-year prison sentence um, to use plastic bags. And the reason that they did that is because so many of the goats, the livestock that they depend on, were dying, and they didn't know why until they found out they were eating the plastic bags out in the desert, and they were, they were getting these intestinal diseases and dying from intestinal obstruction. And so the, the government outlawed the use of plastics. And, and again, this is, this is where a government makes a choice and does something. So, um, you know, in the 1530s, consumer was one who squanders or wastes so it had a negative connotation. The Quran says that people boast, I have squandered great wealth. And this is, the, this is conspicuous consumption. I'll get back to this, but another major problem is the war economy. And this is where we, as a, especially in the United States, where we have, you know, we talk about budgets and making cuts and welfare mothers, and nobody wants to talk seriously about this obscene armaments. We were warned by Eisenhower as he was departing after spending his life serving the military and working with the, the military industry. He warned us about this new phenomenon, the military-industrial complex. And we have to recognize that the type of budgets that this country has for military spending are, are obscene. They are obscene. And it's money that could be going to much, much uh, better things. This is the result of the aerial bombing that happened in Germany. And this is why we have to end 
uh, war as a species. We have to recognize it is an obsolete way. Uh, Clausewitz, the great war strategist from Europe, said that war was just the extension of politics by other means. So war is, 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 is a political act because in politics you try to get things done. When things aren't getting done through the traditional means of politics, then you use violence to get them done. It doesn't work anymore. If it ever worked, it's arguable, but it does not work. This is a scene from Syria. So it's going on now. Um, it's still happening. And these are the budgets. If you look at education compared to military spending, it's insane. I mean, Pakistan spends so much on the military. Um, some of the Gulf states have budgets. Saudi Arabia has a budget that's it's the seventh largest military budget after India, a, a country of 19 million people. Why? Because they're subsidizing Western industry. It's as simple as that. They don't use it. When the Gulf War came, they didn't, they didn't, they, the Americans came and, and other people. So why are these, these obscene budgets being uh, used? And then we also, we, we don't want to deal with this, but this can't go on either. Um, our prophet actually predicted that the time would come, he said, when the liver of the earth would vomit forth. And, and he said that it would be like pillars of gold and silver. And the one who kills on the day of judgment, he will come and say, this is the reason I killed for? And then the one being killed will say, this is the reason I was killed? And the wars, if you read Daniel Jurgen's book, The Prize, the, the 20th century was wars over oil. And, and oil is the blood of our technological society. It is the blood. And it's more precious than human blood for a lot of people. We cannot, if we now, if the average earthling lives like the average American, we will need three earths to supply uh, the consumption. It's impossible. It's untenable. It can't go on. Now, just moving to the self, what are some of the signs? Autism in 1970, and people can argue that this is from diagnostics and things like that, but, but we know from 2012 to 2013, no, there's, something's happening here. We had one in 10,000 diagnosed. I mean, the first di di diagnosis of autism was in the 1950s, but now it's one in 50 in the United States. I mean, we have to really think seriously about what's happening. Now, if you look at the definition of autism, a pervasive developmental disorder characterized by severe deficits in social interaction and communication, by an extremely limited range of activities and interests, and often by the presence of repetitive stereotype behavior. This about defines everybody under 30. I mean, we have to really think about what's happening to our young people that are growing up with this technology. Repetitive, stereotypical practices, losing the ability to interact socially. Another major problem that we have is obesity. The Quran, and this is in all our traditions, because gluttony is one of the deadly sins, but it reminds people 
eat and drink, but not to excess. God loves not the extravagant wasters. And one of the signs of, of the latter days, according to our tradition, is yad harofihim simen, that obesity would become manifest. These are the average BMIs around the globe. You can see uh, Africa and a lot of Asia. The Asians don't eat a lot of the food we eat. They're still on traditional diets. So China is, is behind other places, even though they're becoming rapidly a, a serious industrial nation. But they still eat uh, cosmologically. If you look at Chinese food, one of the things about Chinese medicine, uh, which I studied, and, 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 I, and my sister's an acupuncturist, and one of the things, I, I always thought that they lacked diet. They never talk about diet. If you go to an, a, a, a Chinese doctor, they don't focus on diet. And at a certain point, I realized it's because they, in their culture, they didn't need to. People just simply ate well by the very nature of the food they consumed. Um, these are the world's fattest countries. Um, we're number two. So Americans are proud of being number one. Um, but Kuwait takes that. So there's McDonald's. Um, in Arabic, the golden arches. As you come into Mecca, the first thing you see is the golden arches. It was a very troubling sight for me. But this is the, this is the civilization that we're living in where, on, on the one hand, we've got this incredible scarcity, and on the other hand, we have this overconsumption. It's, 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 so, uh, it's just so imbalanced, And there's, a, there's a, a tradition that we have from our prophet that a believer will not go to bed satiated knowing his neighbor is hungry. And, and that's any neighbor of any faith. Diabetes is a really important problem now that's globally. These, these are, this, this, this is extraordinary what's happening. But I want to point out in traditional cosmology, what happens inside of us happens outside of us. If you want to know why the oceans are acidic, it's because we're becoming acidic. Literally, we are becoming acidic. The world manifests our states, and that's why knowing our states is so important, because how we are, how we behave, what we do, all of this is going to be reflected in, in the world. The macrocosm can only reflect the microcosm. And so... The acidosis of the oceans is related to the acidic levels that are happening. People are moving away from the natural state, which is an alkaline state, and moving towards an acidic state. Um, and this, this is what happens when, um, by 2050, one-third of Americans will have diabetes at current rates. And, and, and if you look, there's a relationship between carbohydrates and hydrocarbons. There's a relationship chemically. So you're dealing, what we're using, oil is like sugar. We're giving the earth diabetes. It's becoming acidic. Our soil is becoming acidic and our oceans are becoming acidic because we're using cheap energy. Sugar is a very quick energy for our bodies. Oil is a very quick, easily digested energy for our machines and for heating our homes. And so this results in this acidic state. And this is what diabetic acidosis is related uh, as far as I, this is my belief, that it's related to the, the acidic state of the, of the planet. Another major problem, we, the, the UN estimates there are more slaves today than any other time in human history. And most of it, 80% is sexual slavery. 
And this is another really serious problem, the problem of lust that we're really not dealing with in our society. I really think we're in a deep denial about the serious problem of lust in this culture. And, and one, one of the, the most important thermometers for it is pornography. The size of the industry now is 57 billion worldwide. It's a massive industry. These are, these are sound numbers, people. These are not exaggerated numbers. These are, these are taken from at one, one of our top universities, 12 billion in the US. Porn revenue is larger than all combined revenues of all professional football, baseball, and basketball franchises. US porn revenue exceeds the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. If you look at the, the websites, 4.2 million, 12% of total websites now. Daily internet searches, 68 million. 25% of total searches. Monthly porn downloads, 1.5 billion. Websites offering illegal child pornography, over 100,000 websites. And for those of you who don't know, there's a deep web where there's just the darkness that goes on on the deep web. Um, and then 8 to 16-year-olds ha- who have viewed porn online in our country, 90%. Gluttony, overconsumption. Those who squander are like siblings of, of, uh, or the brethren of the demons. One of the things that we don't think about is the relationship to what we do and, and, and this darkness. People that are watching pornography are supporting human trafficking because many of the women in these films that are done here in the United States and outside the United States are women in sexual bondage. They're, they're not, you, you know, you have these girls that appear on CNN getting their degree at Duke and saying how much they love being a porn star, those represent a very, very, very tiny percentage of the actual women engaged in the porn industry, which degrades both men and women. Another thing is planned obsolescence. I'm, I, I would recommend, I'm not going to go through this. I, it's, it's a very interesting thing, but there, the story of stuff with Annie Leonard, many of you have probably How seen it. How did they get us to jump on board this program so It's definitely worth watching. Well, two of their most effective strategies are planned obsolescence and perceived obsolescence. Planned obsolescence is another word for designed for the dump. It means they actually make stuff to be useless as quickly as possible, so we'll chuck it and buy a new one. It's obvious with things like plastic bags and coffee cups, but now it's even big stuff. Mops, DVDs, cameras, barbecues, even everything. Even computers. Have you noticed that when you buy a computer now, the technology is changing so fast that in just a couple of years, it's actually an impediment to communication? I was curious about this, so I opened up a big desktop computer to see what was inside. And I found out that the piece that changes each year is just a tiny little piece in the corner. But you can't just change that one piece because each new version is a different shape. So you gotta chuck the whole thing and buy a new one. So I was reading industrial design journals from the 1950s when planned obsolescence was really catching on. See, this these is the point, that these, so this was done it. consciously. They discuss how fast can they make stuff break that still leaves the consumer having enough faith in the product to go out and buy another one. It was so intentional. But stuff cannot break fast enough to keep this arrow afloat. So there's also perceived obsolescence. Now, perceived obsolescence convinces us to throw away stuff that is still perfectly useful. How do they do that? Well, they change the way the stuff looks. So if you bought your stuff a couple of years ago, everyone can tell that you haven't contributed to this arrow recently. And since the way we demonstrate our value is contributing to this arrow, it can be embarrassing. 
Like I've had the same fat white computer monitor on my desk for five years. My coworker just got a new computer. She has a flat, shiny, sleek monitor. It matches her computer, it matches her phone, even her pen stand. She looks like she's driving in Spaceship Central, and I, I look like I'm at a washing machine on my desk. Fashion is another prime example of this. Have you ever wondered why women's shoe heels go from fat one year to skinny the next to fat to skinny? It's not because there's some debate about which heel structure is the most healthy for women's feet. It's because wearing fat heels in a skinny heel year shows everybody that you haven't contributed to that era as recently, so you're not as valuable as that person in skinny heels next to you, or more likely in some ad, it's to keep us buying new shoes. Advertisements and media in general plays a big role in this. Each of us in the U.S. is targeted with over 3,000 advertisements a day. We see more advertisements in one year than people 50 years ago saw in a lifetime. And if you think about it, what's the point of an ad except to make us unhappy with what we have? So 3,000 times a day, we're told our hair is wrong, our skin is wrong, our clothes are wrong, our furniture is wrong, our car is wrong, we are wrong, but it can all be made right if we just go shopping. Media also helps by hiding all of this and all of this. So the only part of the materials economy we see is the shopping. The extraction, production, and disposal all happens outside of our field of vision. It's important to bring backgrounds into the foreground so people understand. Because when we look, this is one of the things that painters do so effectively. Van Gogh, when, when, when you look at the shoes, you know, if you look, he painted several different, but if you look at the famous boots, that he painted with the straight... You'll never look at a pair of shoes the same way if you really contemplate what he did because he was taking something that's in the background and bringing it to the foreground. And it's very important for religious leaders, for artists, for others to do that, to let people know what's in the background, those things that we're not seeing, the things that are hidden. One of the things that our prophet told us is that there would be people towards the end of time like locusts in their, in their consumption. Every year we have martyrs to consumption. There are people that die on these, these buying sprees. Every year this happens in this country. People literally die because they're, you know, they're trampled to death in, in, because of these things. But another aspect that we don't think about is, is just garbage production. And, and the fact, one of, one of the professors that was at, at my university, he taught environmental studies. He had zero garbage production in his home, and he used to take his students to his home to show what he did. In other words, people can actually live reducing their garbage to, 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 to a great extent, but everything is packaged, totally unnecessary packaging, and this leads to these landfills. Um, it's beyond belief what's happening, and again, who suffers? The animals. They're, you know, they eat this stuff. When you, you know, everybody lets off those helium balloons, those helium balloons go to the ocean, they eventually uh, go down, and turtles swallow them. They get uh, the, the obstruction. So these simple things that people are doing without thinking. And now we have the great Pacific Garbage Patch, which is bigger than the size of Texas. It's a huge, massive swell of garbage in the middle of the Pacific Ocean that, because of the tides, tides and, and currents, it all tends to go to this one area. Now, there's a verse in the Quran, the angels ask God, and obviously this is, sh- shouldn't be taken like a literal type conversation, but the angels ask God, 
when, when, when God created man in, in our church, in the human being, how can you put someone therein who will cause damage and bloodshed when we celebrate your praise and proclaim your holiness? So the angels were asking this question. And, and there's a reason why the commentaries give. I'm not going to go into that. And, and you can certainly see that the incredible amount, we, over almost 200 million people were killed at the hands of other people in, in the last century, the 20th century. And we came into the 21st century with a lot of hope, but it begins with 9-11 and, and then these terrible wars that have affected us. But the response that God made was, I know what you don't know about the human being. And, and this is what we have to keep in mind. I put these pictures up because these are my personal teachers. These are people that I studied with. And there's... There's a verse in the Quran that says that we elevate those who do not want to sow corruption in the earth or to be elevated. And, and, and this is what we have to remember as a species, that we have people in this world that remind us of who we really are. We're not jellyfish. We're not mindless, spineless consumers. We have human hearts. We have the ability to know infinity. We can conceptualize it. No other species can do that. We are something amazing. And we have to remind our young people of that. Lost in this world of false idols, of images of women that are so degrading. They are so degrading. And I don't need to name names, because you know them. You see them on the television. You see them on the covers of magazines. This is not who we want our young girls to grow up emulating. We don't want our young men to grow up emulating the lowest forms of life on this earth, the cockroaches, the rats, the jellyfish. We want them to soar with the eagles. And that's what we're here to do and to remind people. And that's why, as far as I'm concerned, as religious people, the religious leadership, we have failed so dramatically. We have failed our young people. We have the halo effect, and then we have the clay feet syndrome. They, they don't see people walking their talk. They don't see people living it. They don't see the gift of sanctity in their beings, in their presence. And that's what we need to remind ourselves that we have to become these people. We have to be these people that have graced this earth, reminding us this is not what it's about. We're here for a short temporal time, and we have work to do. And our work is in discovering ourselves and in serving others. This is the work. We're not here to consume. We're not here to indulge ourselves. We're here for something much greater, and we constantly need to be reminded because we're a forgetful species. When the elephants 
came to honor the man who had, had looked after them. And some of you may have seen this, but they walked for over a day even before he died and then held vigil in front of his house. These are signs for people that reflect. The animals pray for us. According to our tradition, the, 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 the fish in the ocean pray for the righteous. Our prophet said, The one who has repose and the one others have repose from them. They said, who are they, O messenger of God? And he said, those who live righteously, when they die, they have repose. And those who live corrupting, when they die, people, trees, rivers, and animals have repose from them. That's the choice. And I, I really want to drive this point home because I think this is one of the most important verses for me in the New Testament. And I'm in a great Christian city of Louisville, traditionally. Um, it's, 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 you see churches everywhere. You know, there, there, there was a love of, of Christianity, which is a, is a great faith, and there's an incredible amount of, of uh, beauty and truth. Uh, despite the history, we tend to forget that the history of religions is the history of their ego, not of their soul. But for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. People that, that created planned obsolescence, this is from spiritual wickedness in high places. And, and we have to recognize that we cannot support these people. That there are people out there that are actively engaged in harming this world. They're doing it because they're complete slaves of their own desires. And you cannot be a steward if you're filled with your own egoistic desires. You can't. And that's why one of the things that we have to remember, the the Catholics divided the sins into the hot sins and the cold sins. And we tend to forget, you know, the hot sins are easy to recognize, gluttony, wrath, and and lust. And and Dorothy Sayers reminded us that when when a society loses its spiritual center, sex is always the spiritual outlet. So this obsession with sex, which is also related to the rape of the earth, to the way we treat Mother Earth, because of our degradation of our objectification of women. And this is much more a male problem than a female problem. Pornography is largely a male problem, but not entirely. But we, we, we have to remember there are hot sins and cold sins, but the cold sins are often praised in our society, the sins of avarice, right? the sins of envy, the sin of pride, the great sin, which is a sin against one's excellence. And, and then the sin of sloth, which sloth is not laziness. Acedia, in, in the traditional understanding, sloth was spiritual laziness. You, a CEO could be out there working a 120-hour work week, and he's still slothful because he's forgotten his soul or she's forgotten her soul. And this is what we have to remember. Robert Frost said, some say the world will end in fire, some say in ice. From what I've tasted of desire, I hold with those who favor fire. But if it had to perish twice, I think I know enough of hate to say that for destruction, ice is also great and would suffice. It's the hot sins or the cold sins that are going to kill us. And we have to really take this seriously. And it's our spiritual traditions that address this root problem. It's not complicated. The problem is not complicated. Thank you very much.